And welcome, everybody, to Live at the Hive Digital Marketing from the Trenches. I'm your host, Dan Nadelko. Uh, welcome to this episode where we've got Ken Marshall from Revenue Zen uh, joining us today. Uh, Ken is a B2B sales and marketing pro with Revenue Zen. Ken, thanks for joining us. Um, and maybe you can just kick us off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and how Revenue Zen came to be and where you guys are today. Totally. Well, thanks for having me, Dan. Uh, love those chipmunks from the intro to the audience out there. We had to go through that first. That's always a great way to start. <laughs> so um, I myself, I've always been a tinkerer. I like since I was a kid, I've liked to try out things that make a dollar. And so entrepreneurship was always sort of in my DNA meant to be kind of thing. Um, I think we're going to probably get into this a little bit later, but I started an SEO based agency sold that got acquired to now my home revenue zen where um you know we believe in organic attraction based marketing seo content strategy and on linkedin and so if you're a high growth uh b2b SaaS company or professional services firm and you're looking for that attraction based methodology where your leads come to you and do business with you then you know we're the ones to go to and partner with you on that so it's been a fun ride and as a chief growth officer which is a very millennially title uh, I get to do a lot of cool things on a day-to-day -day basis. So that's where I'm at. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like, and, and you know, what, what's going to be really interesting, and I know a lot of our listeners are in the B2B space, is, you know, the evolution that B2B uh, lead generation, which is kind of a dirty word, a little bit of a dirty word, um, although everybody's trying to do it. Yeah. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about how things have changed. And I really love the approach of, focusing and doubling down on organic because a lot of times with b2b lead gen it's a paid campaign with a lead magnet you know they they download a pdf or get some kind of an assessment um so you know i guess from your perspective just to kick us off is what are some of the changes that you've seen in this b2b lead gen and marketing space over the past number of years and, and how have you evolved with it yeah, the first thing I'd like to say, and I think every, whether it's a marketer in-house or an agency, you should never you should never think that your channel or any one channel is the right channel for you at that given time in your company's development. We are, believe it or not, even though we've doubled down on organic, we are agnostic as far as thinking there's a right channel. I think that's nonsense. So we don't want to come off that way. There's a time for paid. There's a time for outsourced SDRs when you got to get that next funding round and show some growth. So mm -hmm. with that in mind... We've really, and in my personal opinion, ever since Gartner came out with that fun chart of the 152,000 touch points, people saw that and they're like, no, I, the lead magnet led to the sale and right there's that you know, friction between sales and marketing. What they're mm -hmm. illustrating is that all of us get on our phone, then we ask somebody in a Slack channel, then we look on LinkedIn and we saw the CEO post something and then we clicked. So this new idea of dark social and different touch points I just think now we're starting to give that the credit that it deserves when people have always made purchasing decisions that way. It's just there's more technology platforms and less availability to track between them. So I think that that's the major shift is that people are spending more time, what I call choose your own adventure journey, whereas there's multiple touch points, but they might be different times across or different places across time. And then the second thing on not just that choose your own adventure style, but they want to build their own confidence in their decision 
and then reach out to sales when they're like, look, my credit card's out. Give me a good reason why I shouldn't go with you versus eight touch points with your sales team to go through the same material you could have had on a website or LinkedIn. So those are my two big thoughts. Yeah, for sure. No, and I, I, I love I love the way that you're, you're, you're talking about this because I, I've got a bit of an analytics background and one of the crosses we've had to bear for uh, forever is this notion of the last click, right? The last click attribution. It's like, sure, hey, talk they, about it. yeah, everybody just comes to us directly, right? Nobody's <laughs> clicking on our ads, but, but you're using the wrong attribution model because exactly what you just said, which is um, I saw a post on LinkedIn, I went and did an organic search, I checked out their blog, you know, maybe I clicked on, on one of their native content ads and I ended up making my decision as you guys have seen, uh, seem to embrace that. So when you're starting with uh, a B2B, which um, is also tough because you know, a lot of businesses sell to other people in businesses, um, when you start with a client or in a program, you mentioned that you, you, you're agnostic, you, you make no um, uh, assumptions on it. So maybe you can just talk a little bit about your, your discovery process when you first engage on a project. Like how do you determine, should it be SEO? Should we get that SDR? Should we launch a campaign? What does that look like? Yeah, so I'll, we'll be very transparent that we only offer the services we do because we believe in them. So it's not like we're mm -hmm. out here running all these different channels. But I, from my own personal experience, I can tell you in the sales process, there's always this sales jargon that we're only gonna we're only gonna work with you if they're the right fit. But we actually we take that disqualification of our prospects similarly that they should take with us of disqualifying us as a vendor. And the reason is because you can't force that you know round peg into the square hole with seo because of the uh time the longer time to value if you get it wrong you're gonna you're gonna look really bad and have a bad reputation so for us it's not even at, once it started it's at that initial discovery call level and some of the questions i might ask are um you know if it's a startup do you have product market fit do you have how much what's your top line revenue are you profitable yet? Is there investors who are breathing down your neck or is the company, you know, did you bootstrap? Because all of those outside pressures and then do you have internal resources? If somebody doesn't have a content champion in house, forget about it because you could drive all the traffic you want in the world, all the leads, they're going to be disqualified because they don't align with that company's unique ethos and positioning. So all of those types of questions are what I'm asking and everybody on the team in sales a discovery call stage, even when we do the intake form, because if that's misaligned, it's almost guaranteed the SEO campaign won't produce an actual tangible ROI. So always, what size are you? What are your internal resources? What's your funding like? How quickly do you want to grow? How soon do you need to generate a return on investment? Those are all how you start to think about defining the right, where does your audience hang out, your ICP? That's how you start thinking, or I start thinking about that. Okay, cool. And then when you're crafting, you mentioned SEO. So um, a really fascinating take on it, just going right into the B2B side and the lead gen side. Um, as we all know, a little bit more of a, a slow boil that takes a little bit longer to kind of get things uh, happening organically. So how do you, uh, how do you, when you create a roadmap for a potential client on a project and you're looking at the SEO uh, what's your starting point and what's your process and how do you determine that ROI in line with, with everything else? Yeah, the, this is my favorite, uh, sort of the research analysis phase and the, the mind melding that happens. I, I think the campaigns are lost or won 
in that phase. I, I truly do as far as a tangible return on investment. Anybody can drive traffic. Anybody can rank for keywords, clicks and impressions. It's all, um, you know, it's all fake as far as I'm concerned. But the only thing that matters at the end of the day is those opportunities being qualified. And so the first few things we'll ask clients and their intake. And then again, on discovery, um, discovery calls going forward is give us a laydown of your technology. What's the product stack? What are the features? Who's the individual that's going to use each of those? Is it the same person? And then write me a list of what's the worst part about their day. Cool. I want every, every phrase that sucks about their life. Then how do they speak about solutions with the sales team, which is different than features and it's different than pains and it's different than, you know, um, solutions you might come up with internally from the engineers. Once you begin to understand the, the whole of all of those phrasing, then you can go off and do keyword research or competitive analysis, but really understanding the lay of the land of when we're thinking about this buyer's journey and we have to start creating content for these humans, what are we even, what kind of terms are we even going after and why are we going after those? And that's how you start to align the strategy. And from there it's okay. Now we know the terms is that top of funnel. Are we educating somebody? Are we impressing somebody with a case study? Is it a laser sharp sales page that perfectly matches to that, you know, marketing analytics software need that they have where their credit card is out. And then we can go into the content marketing and the distribution based on where they live and hang out and the small tweaks and optimizations. But that beginning where you, you download the company's USP, their unique positioning, and then exactly how the user speaks about the product in alignment with the solutions is how you, in my opinion, drive bottom of funnel qualified traffic. So, okay, no, that's, that's great. That's great advice. And, and when you get into that content production, uh, phase. So you're, you're actually looking at content. Um, you've, you've identified those USPs. You've, I, I love, uh, you know, pain points is like, what's Too many the acronyms. sucks most about your day. I love it. No, I think that's, I think, I think, uh, that that's exactly the way to, to, to decouple the, the acronyms from, from everything. Um, when you produce the content, do you find that you have to create a lot of the content or what's the process? So let's, because as you know, uh, some B2B companies get, get super technical. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of, you mentioned technology stacks and all these, these uh, say engineering style benefits. What's your process look like from uh, that discovery and identifying the types of content to actually creating that content? Um, how does that, process work in your world? Yeah, I'll, I'll say a few different things and ways to approach it as you're thinking about making content. So one is before you create a piece of content, the end result, the job that that piece of content is going to do when it's published needs to be defined. A blog post is different than a sales enablement deck that you're that lives on the site, but really is going to be used for the sales team to go over in a pinch or to walk somebody through your value prop. That's very different from a video that's gonna be chopped up into your Twitter feed and your LinkedIn piece of content, which needs to be developed differently. So thing one is don't create for the sake of creating. It's not blog it and they will come like some people think. So that's step number one. Step number two is once you've identified the topic, which aligns to your target term, if it's for SEO purposes as the distribution channel, where are they in their buying process? Are they really at the top of the funnel where they don't even know the problem or the solution? Have they identified you as a potential solution, but they still kind of need to compare? Or are they ready for you to give them one reason to buy and that's all they need and they're already convinced? So align with the funnel, so to speak, mm -hmm. or buyer's journey, whatever, whatever phrase people like to use. And yeah. then third, I would say, 
really involve everyone in the organization with the briefing process. So not just get into creating a draft from a topic, create a brief that says, well, sales knows that this is the right call to action that gets people to really convert. So we got to keep that in mind. But the engineer says that if this is about a connecting your API to Kubernetes, what do we need to include at minimum to not sound like an idiot to our ICP? <laughs> and the customer success team can come in and say, hey, but this is how we can integrate some good product marketing fundamentals into this informational piece at that stage. And then you hand that to the SME, the subject matter expert or the writer to do their thing. And then the SEO team can optimize um, further. But without that alignment of, and I call it the three big buckets, which companies usually get one or two, but almost never three <laughs> when they come to us, is the search research to know there's viability to perform well after you click publish the unique positioning of the company in the market, whatever the heck they do well better than everyone else, and then the subject matter expertise, technical aspects. A lot of people like to over-index on the technical in B2B. They forget that these are humans who need to know why the heck should I care, and that search engines are not even going to be able to crawl it properly when you click post. So those are my big three. Okay, no, that's that's great. I think one of the things that you touched on that that I'm a big believer in is is writing for the proper audience, and that oftentimes, um, uh, especially when you get more complicated, um, so uh, uh, payment platforms, for example, that do things like Dunning and 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 all sure. these you know crazy things. Um, quite often, what you end up getting is this this. Uh, white paper that that you're, only if you're an engineer would you really under truly understand it but the engineer can influence the product manager who the product manager can influence finance who influences customer service i mean there's there's all these different dynamics and and really it, the example you just gave there was really great in terms of like you know get those points in there in human readable language so that that can be shared internally um I gotta, I gotta ask you this before we started, just so everyone's aware. Um, both Ken and I agreed we can just kind of freewheel this a little bit because um, totally. you know, it, it, it is a fast. I find this to be it's weird. It, it, it probably proof that you can find something interesting in anything. Um, I find B two B lead gen to be this really fascinating thing, where it's almost like people have this veil of like, well, I'm B two B. But you're you're selling to people, right? Like you're fundamentally, there's still a person sitting there at their yeah. desk or on their laptop, right? Um, so I have to say this one: uh, to gate or not to gate. And I'll give you a, just a little quick example. Um, there's two things to me when I'm looking at anything B2B SaaS. Is one, is there absolutely no price or idea of a price, and are there 14 form fills on uh, some some lead magnet? Um, what are your thoughts on gating that content? How much should you gate and, and should you, or should you not gate and when would it be appropriate? Oh yeah, this one's gonna piss some people off, I'm sure. But I just, I'd shout out to Seth Godin. I've read like everything by that guy and he's always inspired me. And you, we were talking before that you asked, maybe don't give away all the strategies and techniques. Well, I've already done that. If you look on our resource center, <laughs> everything that I do for our own site and our methodology for clients is written somewhere or on a video on our YouTube channel. So I think that most content actually doesn't deserve to be gated. I think people have a misunderstanding that there it is. I think people have a misunderstanding of what their audience wants. And I think you turn away more people than get into your funnel. And even if they do get into your funnel, 
it's to read that. And if you're like me, you use a fake email or something and you forget about it. What I will say is the, the, the litmus test of how I know to gate something is when it's impeccable and it's immediately going to be so valuable that this person thinks that it's stupid not to exchange their information because they actually want to work with you afterwards because you've impacted them so well. If that's not the sequence for your gated content, I don't know what you're doing. So I think people don't understand that building awareness and keeping that top of mind uh, of your target audience and just showing up for them, even if they're not ready to buy, is valuable. It's just with everyone's option over perfect attribution, which is an oxymoron because uh, <laughs> it doesn't exist. Um, yeah. You miss out on those opportunities and just gate the stuff that's really incredible that deserve that's that somebody is saying I would I would pay for this I would give you so much more than an email in my name and company URL with ultimately the intention of doing business with you or interacting with you should be the the litmus test so what about yourself how do you feel about um, I, yeah so I think um, you know my my take on it and thanks for throwing it back is um, I think uh, Marketo and HubSpot uh, set a standard eight years ago, nine years ago, when this yeah. was kind of a, this is kind of a new idea to gate this stuff. So people were like, you know, rabidly grabbing HubSpot content for whatever um, it means. And as we've evolved, I actually think that the vast majority of B2Bs should ungate their top of funnel and even middle of funnel content. Uh, to your point, exactly this. And, and I want to dig in a little bit to this notion of attribution because we get that a lot. You know, everybody wants to know the entire customer life cycle and where can we attribute every touch point. Um, but I think this stuff should be ungated. Um, you should make it freely available. You should act like a media company and produce lots of content that's valuable in the right context. And when you get to the middle, to the bottom of the funnel, my feeling on this in and from what I've seen is, is that people are motivated and then at that point they're willing to give their information. Um, so long as you get rid of this idea of I've got to talk to a salesperson because I think that that's yeah. kind of the first thing. Like, let, yeah, let's book a call, right? Like, no. I don't want to. I'll let you know when I want to book a call with you. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, and, and I think, I think this notion, um, and you, you can attribute all sorts of fun marketing things like now there's the flywheel instead of the funnel. Um, but I think that there's this kind of shift or should be a shift. And, and I think LinkedIn is doing a bit of this too, really with the, the way that they're resurfacing their algorithm is, Get your content out there. Get your value out there. People are going to listen that are the, in the right area. So you don't need to gate absolutely everything. That's kind of that's that's where I come at it from. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching this is random, but it shows that like branding has a place in your stack and top of funnel awareness. It's like those crazy. I think it was Cheetos commercials or Doritos mm -hmm. commercials from the Super Bowl. I was I didn't need Doritos at one point in the supermarket when I was going shopping for my wife and I for dinner. Yeah, that ninja throwing Doritos made me want to buy a pack. Who knows how they attributed the ROI of me thinking about that years later, but it worked. And I think that should now, by the way, I'm very much like you. I started off diving into analytics. I love it. Mm -hmm. It's just it, it stifles you from doing other really cool, dope stuff as well. That is also beneficial. So I think people get that the mutually exclusive. If you can't track it, it shouldn't be made. I disagree. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're on the same page. And I also think just one thing to add too is, you know, at a certain point in time, say eight to 10 years ago, we'll talk about Marketo and, and HubSpot 
you know, that was kind of when HubSpot was really coming up in the world. And um, there was a lot less of a saturation. I mean, that not, not so many B2B businesses really embraced the internet and, and how people were doing it. So it's a whole lot easier to throw up a form and get lots of good qualified leads. And now we're super saturated with God knows every social media platform on the face of the planet. And I think people is kind of like banner blindness with, with display advertising. Yeah. It's like, ah, just another thing, right? And I'm going to get a Calendly link and they're going to want to book a call. And then I'm going to talk to a salesperson for 45 minutes, right? Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, I think that that's changed. And I, I love I love your Super Bowl analogy, like one of my favorites. Um, and I thought this was great. Um, was uh, Calm, the, the wellness app. Yes. Yeah. And right in the middle of the Super Bowl, it was 30 seconds of like, just stop, breathe. And it was like water flowing. And it was, uh, I actually saw it at the time and I was like, just blown away by one, how great that was because it was so refreshing that like they weren't trying to sell anything. They're telling you to calm down in the middle of kind of a high fever pitch game. Right. Um, and I think I think that kind of approach is really brilliant when you're thinking about your content strategy is catching people uh, almost unawares, but kind of delighting them in a way too with that kind of surprise from your content. Absolutely. And yeah, shout out to HubSpot for that um, sort of shift in thinking with that flywheel uh, of their methodology. Mm -hmm. I think that's exactly right. And I think it flows pretty seamlessly into sales. I know people don't like to you know, admit that, but I think it does. So. Yeah, for sure. And just to touch on that now, because because both of us coming from a marketing side, I'm going to assume you you deal with a lot of uh, BDRs and SDRs and people in, on the sales side and account execs, etc. Um, do you find that it's there's a challenge to to pull them into this way of thinking, or you know, what's your experience been there? And if they are resistant, um, you know, what are some of the techniques you use to to pull them into this kind of philosophical um, approach that you've got? Yeah, I have less experience, let's say, running a team of SDRs, right, or um, being in charge of aligning uh, that those that aspect of a, uh, our clients. But I will mm -hmm. say two things. One, I've <laughs> me and the shout out to Alex, our CEO, we did most of the sales for the company until very recently in our history. And I'm just as familiar with cold outreach as the next person who's a founder who gets it. And so I will say that 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 idea of just bombarding companies who maybe 10 years ago, getting an email was the most exciting part of their day. The, the, the return of that to me over time with the effort and potential downside of burning your target market, because if you do it incorrectly, you put a bad taste in people's mouth. I just think that's the major shift is that not, not that somebody can't call on the, the decision maker and get a meeting and close them. I, in fact, I know that that works and it works for companies that do it really well. It's just that getting that attention is harder because of all the noise that you mentioned. And so I do think there's this shift to more of a, well, instead of just personalization, meaning the name, how can I delight them? And delighting for a, a blog post or a white paper or a checklist <clears throat> is very different. But the SDR, the BDR could say, well, I saw that on Twitter, they're a Mavericks fan. And so am I. So I'll start off my message with a funny joke about the Mavericks. To me, that is the exact same function as that content on LinkedIn that's funny or that um, that amazing heading tag or title on your blog post, I think that's the shift that I've seen SDRs and BDRs make. And what I tried to do, I, I do a funny loom video when I, I used to do cold prospecting. 
And I, I always tell a joke on a sales call within the first five minutes. It's the exact same thing to me, which is building, people say rapport. I think about it more as driving our defenses down so we can have an honest conversation. I think that's what that process is. So to me, that's the major shift that I've seen and sort of experienced myself is just that introduction feels more like good marketing than it does mm -hmm. just give me the sale I want a meeting now, which isn't going to work for most of us execs. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And like, honestly, um, you know, one of my big pet peeves in the world is, and, and, and I'm sure you get tons, I get an astonishing number of people that's billions. Um, every day. <laughs> yeah. Hey, just wanted to reach out, blah, 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 book your calendar, book your time in my calendar now. And it's almost like, no, I'm absolutely not going to book time in your calendar because like, who are you? Why are you even here? Um, and as we shift from that, maybe we should talk a little bit about our friends at LinkedIn um, because uh, you do have a social selling course at revenuesend.com, which uh, applause to that because I think, you, uh, you know, social selling is, 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 is amazingly powerful. But maybe, you know, my experience on LinkedIn, I think you see a lot of memes about it is uh, these in-mails are absolutely annoying. Um, do you have some tips for people on LinkedIn? Because one of the things that, that, that I run into with a lot of people is there's a lot of lurkers. They're absorbing LinkedIn. They're scared to post. They don't know how to do it. They're, right? um, so some tips for people in terms of like, one, what is social selling? I think you just described a little bit of it there. Um, and then what are a few things on LinkedIn that if, if there's this hesitation to doing it, how can you get over that fear and, 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 and just get out, get put yourself out there? Yeah. So much like everything else, there's everything you could want to know about social selling for free on the uh, RZ Resource Center. But really concisely, if you think about the normal parasocial relationships that exist on like influencers and TikTok, mm -hmm. it's sort of the same thing that you're doing. But instead of them buying your course or a brand that paid to the influencer to, to shill that without them knowing it, the, and I'll explain this about how we use it specifically, but the salesperson, the CEO, the founder, whoever, they're just an extension of your brand because at the end of the day, when people are on social, they're not interacting with a company's page. Maybe if you're a large B2C brand or something, but most B2B brand pages aren't going to be interacting with customers. And so that human is the extension of your company, extension of your company's values, the value proposition for your products and services. And so social selling is using those platforms to connect with those people either in your immediate buying audience or who might become that or you want to engage with as a partner um, at scale, but speci like specified down to their needs. It can't be everybody, right? It's a core group of um, at least segmented group of people. And so that's what social selling is. It is not that sort of pushy scaled lead gen where you're just blasting messages out, but it's also not being an influencer in the sense that it's not... Like you post a post and it gets a, a poll and it gets 4,000 comments and likes, but none of them are your, buy, your target buyers. You're also not social selling. <laughs> and so that happy zone of where you're doing that at that kind of scale with grabbing that attention for the people who need it with the purpose of them becoming engaged customers or partners, that's social selling. So I'll stop there if that, does that make sense? Gotcha. Yeah, no, that, that totally does. And I think one of the things that I try to tell people with social is, look, if you're at a networking 
dinner or you know at a pub after hours at some some local networking event as a lot of these things are at a conference after hours event um i mean some people do this they walk up and they'll shove their business card in people's faces and want to book a meeting <laughs> it's not yeah. exactly social right um but you know if you were at this and this is a cocktail party and people are there um, you know, how are you going to introduce yourself? What are you going to talk? You're going to talk about the Mavericks, like to your point, right? If they're, if yeah. they've got, you know, some, some way to, to know that. Um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, just being yourself. Um, and then the other thing is too, is, uh, to your point about, Hey, you put that poll up, I got 4,000 people. None of those people are in your target audience. It's okay to have 10 prospective types of people that you're looking for. And maybe you've got some target accounts and those are the people that you're really interested in talking to. Like that's totally valid in terms of social selling. It, it's not, you don't have to be Gary Vaynerchuk or Seth Godin or, or any of these guys, sure. right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's such a good point. You really don't. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, it almost isn't, I, I think there's a part of like the ego that comes into place when we're on social, we forget that like this is a business function. We still want that same validation. We're all people. Um, yeah. And I think that gets to, we can talk about if you're interested, some of the the tactics that I think everyone could do, because you did mention this fear of posting or this, I consider it perfectionism that hasn't been dealt with yet. <laughs> Truly <laughs> as a, somebody who used to write, uh, I used to write a lot for like blog posts and I published a book and, I got more in one month than I did for the first eight trying to write that book after sort of uncovering that fear. But um, I think the first thing that everyone can do is just like actually go on there and post something or write something or sorry, uh, post something via like writing um, an audio message or a video. It all sort of depends on who you are. But the number one most important thing that we help uh, and we particularly so everyone out there listening um, if, especially if you're um, a SaaS company or you're more mid-market, you have a, a, a presence, then somebody in the C-level, an executive or leadership, they just tend to have bigger networks and more clout, as the kids would say. Uh, so we always start there. It's not SDRs out there listening. You can do social selling too. It's just the reach of that CEO is just a little bit more effective in terms of generating a return most quickly, we, we, we find. But within that, the hardest thing is to get them to step out of this well this isn't exactly our the the proper positioning or this isn't exactly going to generate a ton of leads right off the bat and that's not the point the point is almost to generate the quickest or the most amount of momentum most quickly and so we're just like you have a week here's the theme or an easy one to start with is your origin story we always tell everybody tell everybody how you got here what you're interested in click publish the second thing it's very simple just like anything else, go through all the settings in LinkedIn. Like the amount of executives who just have where they went to college or something and their about or their title, it's like tell the people who you want to do business with what you think, like what you talk about on your everyday meetings, just put that same stuff right there. And so the profile optimization is low hanging fruit, but it's just like fill things out. If you spoke at HubSpot, like I spoke at HubSpot, it's pinned to my profile. I want people to know that. It was fun. <laughs> and so that's yeah. the other thing. Third, I would say there's a set of, just like we do for the content, there's a way to think about the content buckets of what to post. There's something to get people's attention. You might call that top of funnel informational content. Case studies, customer stories, getting towards middle, bottom. 
there's yeah. industry information to if you're like actual thought leadership that gets turned or, that gets used a lot but if you've done something unique you have first party proprietary data or maybe you raise a round of funding those are some of the buckets i would start to consider things that you know things that entertain things that are exclusive to you um and then just social proof i would put that in that bucket so those are all really simple ways to frame it and then just mm -hmm. post a couple times a week and spend 15 minutes a day on your phone commenting with a few people that would change most people's i think that would change most people's like demand gen like as a linkedin as a channel if they mm -hmm. did that for eight months and just did those basics in 30 minutes a day i truly do i i, I you're preaching to the choir my friend i i couldn't i couldn't agree more um especially with this notion of I think a couple of things. One, when you talked about uh, some successes you've had, I think a really good approach that's pretty simple is is taking a roadblock. Hey, this thing happened here, right? Um, we lost a client or something, but, you know, bad, but how did you deal with it, right? Like, what was your solution? Sure. Turn it into a little bit of a story. I'm every salesperson and everybody's going to have at least a few of these uh, from their right. experiences. And then the, the, the other thing I love is, for people that uh, you know need to build up a bit of confidence, one of the most powerful things you can do to influence the algorithm is actually commenting on other people's threads and directly opening conversations, not with the poster, right? Because 0% chance that if Gary Vaynerchuk posts that he's gonna answer me, right? <laughs> totally but, but if Ken's on there and Ken asks a question and then I reply to Ken, right? Then we get a back and forth going, well, I'm opening up a relationship there to some degree and, and, and can build on that without, without even necessarily having to be at the forefront of it all. And that's, to me, that's the beauty of it right there. Even that interaction in that comments section of Gary V's profile, if you had done a LinkedIn in mail, which you have to pay for, and you waste that dollar, which I'm considering, the person that you had that conversation with that's in your network, they're not going anywhere. They voluntarily want to learn more about you versus you blowing that one chance. And I think to me, that's such a big difference is these human beings, these connections that you're now making, they're just there and they want to be there. And they're probably going to lurk for a bit until they feel ready to be activated or they ask for your permission to then activate them or get them into your funnel. But you mm -hmm. don't burn that. It's just a cool relationship that you have going regardless of the outcome. And they could refer more to you. They could teach you something or become a customer. And you just don't get that with that really hard-nosed outbound. Again, not that it doesn't work, just very different. And think about the scale of it over time. What scales better, more effectively over time at the same cost? I think we know the answer. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I do agree with your point. I do know some people that are extremely skilled at outbound. They're great at cold calling, but boy, is it a lot of work. I mean, it's kind of like running a, a marathon or sprinting, depending, <laughs> uh, like every single day, the minute that you stop, it's kind of like with paid, right? The minute that you stop, it stops, right? There's no organic kind of halo around that. Yeah. And I mean, bad outbound, obviously we have friends, especially sure. shout out to Ledium. They have an amazing shop and they do a lot of what we're talking about as the upfront work to even make sure that the person's in market and that they're right and that they have a good message and they actually understand the accounts. And so I, with all things, it's like, you can do bad SEO. In fact, <laughs> I think most of it's bad. We all get those emails in our inbox every day. So 
Yeah, totally. Totally. All right, Ken. Well, we're just about to wrap up here. We got a few minutes left. Um, is there anything that in terms of top takeaways, if, if we've got our listeners that are in the B2B space, which I know are quite a few, um, some of the top tips, even a recap on, on things they can do today to, to help accelerate their demand gen and, and lead gen efforts? Yeah, I, it's, it's a lot to throw some of these really technical topics at people. So I'll say this. If you were to go through your website and really the last buying decision you made for a piece of software or something that cost a lot of money or was complex, could you find all of the information you need to confidently make a buying decision on your site? So really think through this person does not know the, the problem. They kind of know it. They know the solution. They kind of don't. They know about your type of solution. They kind of don't. Social proof all the way through to finish, finish from pipeline. And if not, you need to create those assets where you have gaps. You need to create those customer stories, those videos, the sales collateral, the top of funnel blog posts, the white papers, the guides, the resources, the checklist, the solutions pages, the features, the integrations. If somebody can't do all of that on your site, it doesn't matter if you're doing outbound or paid because guess what? Part of their buying decision-making journey, even when you use those channels, involves looking at your website. It's not a, it's not a debate. It's a fact. Uh, and so if you don't have that optimized for them to choose their own adventure and remove that friction themselves, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're not building an asset that will continue to pay dividends without you having to work on it as much as those other channels. So it, it has this net positive effect to get that content strategy down in, in, through that lens of the buyer's journey on the site. And then as far as SEO is concerned, the best time to do it is like a year ago. So if you're going to want to do it at any point in the future, start with the basics, start with the free stuff and the easy stuff tomorrow. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. That's great. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give this over to you. Um, RevenueZen.com, if someone wants to get a hold of you, um, maybe you know, what kind of uh, clients do you deal with and what kind of services do you guys offer? Great site, yeah, by so the way. I love the resources section. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I uh, It's my baby. But we... B2B SaaS primarily, some SaaS companies think like Series A and above, usually they have product market fit, they're ready to start scaling growth, and they know organic is going to be big for them in the future. We we come alongside you, and if you don't have a CMO, we attach ourselves on and help you with that part of your go-to-market. For B2B professional service firms, might be a little bit stagnant, but you know you've been making good revenue and good margin for years now. We can help scale things, right, and take it to that next level where they haven't had that sort of fuel to to grow in a while from a marketing perspective, we really are able to help out those more mid-market uh, B2B professional service firms. And really, it's end-to-end. -end. We plan the strategy. We do the research. If you're on a common CMS, we can even implement the strategies for you. And really, I would say, go to the resource center. Everything's free that we do. And if you're not able to do any of it, get in touch with me because like I told you in the beginning, um, I always help everybody I talk to. That's my only goal. And then if they think we want to be the people to implement that help, that's when I put together a scope for them. So there's no harm in it. Awesome. Awesome. All right, Ken. Well, I appreciate uh, you being here. I know all of our listeners do B2B uh, lead gen is such a huge topic. Uh, so often misunderstood and you've got tons of experience and would love to have you back on again sometime to dig deep into any one of the topics we talked about. But thanks so much for joining us on this episode. Love it. Thanks, Dan. Cheers, Anytime. everybody.
Uh, cheers, everybody. All right, that's it for this episode of Live at the Hive Digital Marketing from the Trenches. We will see you next week. Same B time, same B channel. Peace.